Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Circuit. I am Ben Beharin. Salutations, all our aficionados. I'm Jay Goldberg. I need to come up with another way to say that our intro, since I say it all the time, this exact same way. And I said, you know, in the beginning, I would mix it up. So I'll, I'll figure another clever way out. But today, we're going to talk about a hot topic, one that... Uh, Happened last week, but because of the Arm F1, we chose to do the Arm F1. But that is the story of the raging bull of NVIDIA and their earnings. And uh, man, that was that was an interesting one. I, I was a bit, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you and I are just so close to the situation and talking to others that like, I knew there would be unprecedented demand. I had been tweeting out, look, the word I'm going to use to everybody I talk to is, unprecedented demand whether they use it or not but it was interesting that there were people who were like what if they miss what if they miss and i was like there's a zero percent chance this this is a miss and sure enough they they crushed it and even more than their uh updated guide and uh and guided to an even stronger uh next quarter in, in terms of demand so um so let's let's dig into Let's dig into NVIDIA and sort of the opportunity here. So let's start with, you had you had some questions. Um, let's start with a few of those. Yeah, so I think you set it up very well. There was a surprising amount of debate ahead of the quarter on the street where there were people who were arguably short the stock. There, was a, there were a lot of people talking a short case for the stock. That they're going to miss, that, you know, this is, you know, Flash in the pan, uh, and of course they did the opposite of miss. They crushed it and then raised guidance way beyond where anyone thought they could. I, I think this is setting up a. It's a very weird dynamic taking place on the street around this stock, and we can get into that. But coming away from the call, and those calls a week ago, and their ten Q came out yesterday. We're recording on September first. Three three things sort of caught my attention on the earnings call in terms of sort of questions that people had about the stock. And the 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 first one came, it was again, of Stacey Raskin, he always asks the best questions. And he asked about inference. What's their play in inference, right? Data, data AI, of course, has two markets. There's training and inference. NVIDIA is the acknowledged dominant only player, basically, in training right now. But the inference market is going to be much larger, and everyone wants to know what's the situation there. And they've they, they've talked about it on the, in the past. They make a good case while they they they're very well positioned there. Um, but he completely did not answer the question. He went on this. He he just went deep into the vision, the big story. You know, he talked got very deep into LLMs and how all this complicated talk about AI models did not answer the inference question, which. I, any other CEO did that, I would say, oh, there's a problem there. Uh, they're trying to avoid answering the question. I think he just forgot to answer the question and wanted to talk about something else. He, he, he likes to talk, Jensen likes to talk about big picture vision. So I'm, I'm very curious. I would like to hear more about their story for inference. I think it's a, it's a legitimate question to ask. To what extent can their current dominance translate into a, a big share or how big a share can it be in the inference market. That's really important for them, but also I think for the rest of the semiconductor industry, like, are you going to leave, you know, anything for the rest of us? 
So that was a, that was an important unanswered question. And I think I, I know we're going to be talking about this a lot again in the future. Uh, another another big topic was to what extent is this just this demand just from a small number of hyperscalers, right? What they call CSPs or cloud service providers were 50% of their data center business this quarter, which is about average for what it's always been. Uh, it's up from last quarter. I, I think, again, you could make a case that uh, NVIDIA is just like selling into the big hyperscalers and the demand is going to evaporate once they get their fill. And I think that completely misses the point. I think the data center customers are just first in line for the H100s and all the new systems. So they're going to be a big share. Their share will probably decline as as supply eases up and they get more and everyone else starts getting their part. But like, I don't think there's a story there, but people seem to want to make one. And then the last legitimate question is what's their supply situation look like? Because I think the really scary thing about their numbers this quarter was the fact that they are supply constrained more than anything else. So their, their numbers could have been much higher if they had all the all the parts they need. And right that that starts to ease up next year. I think it's reasonable to assume at some like this growth will continue for the next few quarters I think and at some point next year it will slow, right? Because they'll have they'll satisfy all the pent up demand and we'll sort of return to a more normal pattern. And and it's worth pointing out now because I know that people are going to make a big deal about that when it happens and they're going to start all the doomsayers will come out and you know, I'm not too, I'm not too worried about it. I'm not too worried about that happening. It's just like sort of law of large numbers will eventually kick in, but I think it's safe to say that uh, GPUs and AI are going to be around for a while and NVIDIA is going to benefit that for, for a long time. Yeah. Agree. I I think there's a couple of, of dynamics here that are, I guess are worth really sort of digging into, right? You, you make the point about, and I think this is a relevant question when essentially estimating NVIDIA's growth, because a lot has changed in a ways that I think most people have modeled NVIDIA's before, before, especially when they have access to, you know, tracking data from like an IDC or, or to some degree Gartner and are able to gauge one, both refresh of prior products. So whether that was, you know, discrete GPUs or mobile GPUs, and then obviously the data center stuff, they, they essentially had a model for refresh cycles. The, the part to this is that one, this infrastructure is more expensive. They're charging more for um, like an A100 and an H100. And I guess we'll see what the next version is. Do these costs for them go up or is there enough of a market that they can just keep prices as is and essentially tr- keep keep working to saturate demand because we, we know that, that it, it's a growth sector. But if you're just selling to kind of these traditional companies that they have been, uh, most people know what those shipment numbers are. Again, there's questions of ASP and then there's questions of refresh rate and that's all that's all fine and good. But, you know, I had mentioned this and we talked about it, you know, a while back that I think it was two quarters ago, Jensen had had gone out of his way to make this point about a trillion dollars of data center refresh and... I've not gotten clarity on this, but I think the enterprise edge is included in that. I'd, I'd like to get this clarified because that is a very large number of of infrastructure costs, and obviously, you know, we, data center refresh rates is a question as well. How long those cycles are, but but I think to that point, he was trying to get everybody to think more about 
the 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 broader set of companies who buy these technologies either in the data center, like you said, which is again, it's a set number of people. We know how many shipments those are, but including what might be necessary in the enterprise at the edge to run some of this stuff, train their models, keep it local, and then again, exactly what you said, inference becomes a, a really relevant part of part of that story. But that's kind of where I think looking at. I think he's trying to get people to think differently about the numbers or the models they've used before for growth based on unit numbers they knew and then shipments to say there is a wider area where we believe we can go and get products from. And, it, and then to your point, it's not just GPUs, it's GPUs and then inference products with Grace Hopper. There's software platforms where they want people to subscribe or buy their software. So there's a, a broader platform platform play. But that's kind of why I think he used that number is to sort of get a, a bigger picture view of their potential customers that they may or may not have today. And that all of them are going to want to have some NVIDIA parts. That's his hope in some part of their infrastructure in all of those different areas, edge, you know, data center, as well as, as the cloud. So, so that's just stepping back and trying to think why I think he framed it that way. It was to kind of get at that there's a bigger market. You got to think about this bigger market. There's more customers. There's edge. Everybody's investing in more data center when they're doing more autonomy or becoming more digital as a company, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that's why I think, and, and that's the only reason I sort of keep poking at people saying, well, they can't keep, keep this revenue stream up. I mean, you're right. It's going to flatten and come down at some time, but for the foreseeable future, there is a lot of demand to fill. And I think his point was it's, it's bigger. The TAM is bigger. And our SAM within that TAM is bigger than than everyone thinks. That's at least my reading of his tea leaves. Yeah, so he 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 did go into a little bit about that trillion-dollar market. He said it's a trillion dollar of data centers, so call it a quarter trillion of capital spend each year. And that's for both data center and enterprise. So hyperscalers plus enterprise does not make it clear whether that's, you know, how much of that is inference, but presumably there's a fair amount of inference in there. But that's not edge yes, inference. That's just be. that's just data center inference. So mm. uh it's it's yeah, it, I, I I mean we'll get into the longer term implications of all this in a second, I guess, but I think the the there's this weird thing happening in the street and I it, it, it's partly a function of NVIDIA's gotten so big so quickly. And the fact yeah. that it is historically, everyone knows it's a very volatile stock. That's like I keep saying, they, they, they're not very good at forecasting their quarters. And so there's a lot of people pushing this short case reasons why they think the stock is going to go down. And I, I, saw some, I saw a really, really insidious uh, tweet. And I'm, I don't want to link to it because I don't want to give it any attention. But somebody read the 10Q last night and came up with this really like brutal attack on their numbers, you know, ba basically, you know, almost accused them of accounting fraud. And it was, it was, uh, almost certainly a hundred percent disingenuous, right? Cause the guy who tweeted it was, is, is, you know, is a pretty savvy investor. He didn't, it, but there are, there are mistakes in his analysis, like really, really deliberate. Mm -hmm. Like if he were new, I'd say, Oh, he just made a mistake. He misread it. But these, these seem pretty deliberate. And there's a lot of people out there pushing a short case on NVIDIA. And I, I think it's just that 
I think it's just normal street noise, but it's amplified because it's gotten so big and it's moving so quickly. Um, and I, I, it's kind of, it's, it's, I think it's in sort of polluting the information space around the, the company. And again, it's a weird dynamic. It's not usually sure. this bad. Uh, but I, yeah. I think it's it's very hard to because it's it's very hard to come up with a short case on a company that just is basically more than doubling earnings from a pretty large base already. They're going to double their revenue this year. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, how do you, how do you short there's, that? There's a good chance they're going to right, and there's a well, there's a good chance that they're going to double revenue next year, year over year. And I agree with you, and I, I know which tweet you're talking about because I saw some people comment over it. Um, I, I think the sensitivity is just look, they're being valued at, you know, well over a trillion at this point. They're a couple years away from being a hundred billion dollar company in revenue. Um, so yeah, it's it's a huge multiple. But but that's why I think this, and this is this was the thing I want to sort of get into about this, because I think this is an interesting mental model to think about. Um so so Ben Thompson had referenced a tweet, which I'm not sure if anybody has seen, but I'll I can link it in the, the show notes about and it is a question being arised is, is NVIDIA and this cycle very similar to Cisco? Because Cisco had a similar, very big jump in revenues as the internet infrastructure age was starting to, to take off. They were kind of the dominant player. The other one I had mentioned to people, even though the revenue increase what bump wasn't quite as big as Cisco's was Qualcomm in the mobile area era, just as that mobile was being built in, saw tremendous, you know, year over year growth. And so we know in a period of a build out cycle, right? The prior before was the internet. The, the, the one after that was the mobile internet or connectivity and cellular connections. And so now this is being compared to as that same infrastructure build out, which I agree is, is, is happening. Um, but this dynamic of how similar is the situation, I think, is an interesting question because there is a lot of historical precedent to what happened in those stages per where stock growth came to him when it came back to earth and got normalized, even if revenue uh, increased at a modest percent quarter over quarter and year over year. But I like this question, right? Could we view NVIDIA? And I do think there's other names that come into this, so I'm not just limping with India. But can we view this cycle and what's happening with NVIDIA very similar to what we saw with Cisco in the kind of birth of and build out of internet infrastructure? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough question to answer. I think in both of those examples you cited, Cisco and Qualcomm, the companies at that stage were much smaller in terms of revenue. Cisco was fairly big, but still it was a much smaller scale that we're talking about. So it's it's fairly easy to grow very rapidly when you have a very small revenue base. It's much harder to grow at the at the rate Nvidia is growing when you're already starting off as a you know a, a, you know with this what a thirty forty billion dollar com- revenue company, and then to double that was thirty, uh, yeah. right? And yeah. and so there there is I mean it's it's much much harder to do, and so there's something different taking place here is it is it gone is it you know is it gotten crazy oh yeah of course right i mean it's already trading at this incredible mm-hmm. multiple but i think we have to sort of try to contextualize what's taking place and this is something that i think everybody's struggling with i've heard every kind of analogy out there 
And I, I've actually spent the last couple of weeks digging into transformers and LLMs and understanding some of the lower level technical stuff. And I'm, I, you know, most of it's beyond me, but I'm trying to get some kind of intuition around what's really different about AI, right? Why is this so different, right? Jensen will make the case that we're moving from a world of general purpose compute to accelerated compute, which is, it is a pretty good way of phrasing it, but it's also doesn't really get at the, the sort of underlying transition that's taking place. And so what I, I've been coming to back to is this analogy. I, I, I don't think he, call, he calls it the iPhone moment. Like this is the iPhone moment. But I think that's, that's not what this is. This is not necessarily the creation of a new platform. Come, let me come back to that. But I don't think this is a platform that he's creating right now in, this, in the way that iPhone created iOS platform with all this lock-in. I think of this more in terms of the risk versus CISC debate, right? And for those of you who aren't familiar with this, 40 years ago, computer scientists had this big debate about how to design processors. And without getting into all the technical details, a lot of you probably know it, but there was really two camps and the CISC side of it, the complex instruction set, they had a philosophy about how to build processors. And that for a long time, that was the sort of the preferred way that sort of won out for many years. And then mobile came along and we needed to do different things with compute and we transitioned to, to risk, right? So from x86 to ARM. I think there's something similar taking place in compute today in which we're going from a world of deterministic solutions, right? In the past, we wanted our computers to give us a precise answer. Two plus two equals four. For the last many years, we've many more things are moving towards a probabilistic or stochastic compute, right? Where we don't really expect a, a perfect answer. We're looking for the statistically correct answer. And, and yeah, we've been doing that for a long time, but what's happened with AI and with, especially with large language models and transformers is we found a fundamentally better way to do those calculations, which has freed up an immense amount of energy and is changing the way we're doing compute, right? In a, in a pretty drastic way. We've been doing, you know, statistical non-deterministic compute for a long time, but LLMs and AI have changed the energy equation or the compute equation in such a way that we it now has opened up this field towards a new way of designing how we build computer systems. So, it's, you know, I don't want to get too more, any more abstract than that, but that's how I think of this transition. And if that's the yeah. case, there's not necessarily NVIDIA lock-in built in. And it, because there's a lot of things that have to go on top of these sort of fundamental philosophical positions. Yes. So I think that's a good, that's a good analogy and I'll take it to kind of another thing I've been thinking a lot about lately that I'm working on an article updating my Silicon big five to now covered the NVIDIA story. But one of the things that, that I think is interesting is that there, there now becomes again, and I, I have no answer to this. This is just my mental model for thinking about this going forward. There becomes now the question of compute workloads and those are anything that can run on the cloud again, or at the enterprise edge, 
you could even make the case about automotive edge or, or, or visual edge, whatever those are, what architecture should the highest value workloads run on? And I say that because it's really interesting to think about the future of CPU architectures and the future of GPU architectures. And in 2018, at the, uh, at the NVIDIA's developer conference, um, Jensen had made sort of an observation that's now sort of being thrown around as, as Hoang's law that basically said that the performance capabilities of GPUs is accelerating at a rate faster than that of CPUs. And essentially, this comes down to a point that at each now additional uh, leading edge node, you can actually use the increase in efficiencies you get and, and, and density increases to pack on more GPUs, in this case, into, a, uh, into a, uh, an architecture than you can transistors. So, so essentially, you can actually get more GPUs per now, now node at that rate than you can just necessarily transistors without whatever comes next about transistor stacking and whatever, wherever that happens. And so it's an interesting point because you could sort of say, what's going to progress faster at, at each new node, knowing the limitations of, of, uh, of, of science that we're getting into at leading edge densities and Moore's law slowing, is it going to be throwing a lot more cores at it in that increased uh, capabilities that you get to, to design or transistors. So it really becomes a CPU versus GPU conversation about the high value workloads. Again, I use that language intentionally, intentionally because the high value workloads, if those are going to remain on GPUs and their ability to massively parallel um, high computing tasks, then even in this scenario, I would say if that plays out, then the, then the GPU becomes more of a valued part of the equation. Now, CPU is going to play a role in inference. I think Jensen tries to say, yes, we get that. But he also, I think in his back of his mind, believes that GPUs are actually great for inference because of their ability of massive parallel parallelism. We will see where those things go. But, but, but I use that as kind of this model of where's the value in the stack? Because that to me leads to where we see lock-in. And the one thing I think that NVIDIA has, and I'll throw this out on you, you can tell me if I'm even crazy to draw this analogy, but the one thing that CUDA affords NVIDIA today is a massive developer ecosystem. And, and that to me is extremely sticky because if we, if we make the case that having a developer ecosystem around everything from AI to AR, what they're doing in Omniverse, you name it, right? is akin to Apple's developer ecosystem, which is unparalleled. And they have so many long tail developers on their platform that don't come to Android really. And obviously every you know, app comes to, to iOS. So a huge developer ecosystem, which makes their platform sticky, extremely attractive, product over product, category over category. I wonder if those two things have some similarities. The strength is kind of really hidden in their ability to keep winning developers, maintain those developers, and get those developers to do interesting new things on their architectures. Yes, I think that that puts it very well because it, it refers back to the root of all this, which is going to be the software. And just to clarify, or to be extra precise, I think 
NVIDIA's software advantage now is expanding beyond CUDA. Because you can you could kind of make a credible case that there are alternatives to CUDA emerging, uh, sort of, right? But that's going to take a long time. And I think long before that actually happens, NVIDIA has a strategy to put other software elements at play. And this is something we talked about like six months ago when they did their developer conference. The extent to which they have developed this whole software stack around AI and generative AI and all kinds of things, much of it tailored to specific vertical industries like bio or energy or whatever. Mm-hmm. That is, so they have CUDA software today, but they're expanding and building on it in so many different ways, right? And they now have multiple types of cloud offerings. They have DGX, they have yeah. Omniverse, right? And, and this is, I think this is sort of how he, ex- he explained it too, is like there's layers and layers here. They, they, you know, we could, we could argue about why CUDA came to exist, but they learned the lesson of how important software is a long time ago. Yeah. And they've been investing so heavily in this now. And I, I think this actually opens up the potential for them to become even more powerful in the, in the industry because they have these extensive, just a, it looks to me like it's this incredible software library uh, that sort of spans anything you would want to do with AI. And like that, I mean, that's, it's, it's going to be very, very hard for anyone else to replicate that. I agree. And, and, that's, and that's why I say, just again, in my model to say how dominant can NVIDIA be for how long? It, I, I don't. I really don't believe they're ever. They're really going to be threatened in training um, at all. And, and the question is, how many more of these core AI workloads, running LLMs, um, you know, being close, d- designing these products to have very, very little latency, close to memory, so you can hold those tokenizations. If the GPU, that's what I say. If the GPU becomes the thing where those are where the most valuable high performance workloads goes. And that's why I think he keeps saying accelerated computing. And yes, that includes their CPU and obviously, um, you know, things that they're doing in, in networking, but that stack is, is designed to accelerate also the software platforms that, that you mentioned, um, that they're investing in now and building and investing in, in the future. But if the GPU is really the center of this, right, it's the central gravity of the ecosystem, and, and to, again, to not beat the, this analogy with a dead horse, but the way that the iPhone is the ecosystem for Apple, everything, right? Software, services, all other products, etc. Then it's going to be really hard to displace NVIDIA and really challenge them if it's really the GPU becomes one of the most valued or the most valued part uh, of that workload. Yeah. I I, th- I see it as sort of three scenarios into the future, right? The first scenario is GPUs become important, but over time, other people make inroads and NVIDIA ends up as, as the leader, but not dominant. They're really good at this. The whole market grows and they take a, a good share of it, but they have to share it with others. And that's you know, AMD, but it's an Intel maybe, and, but also sort of all the various accelerators out there uh, internal, you know, in the internal mm-hmm. hyperscaler solutions, not yeah. least that's one scenario. And that, and that world will look a lot like the world we live in 
we lived in a year ago, right? Sort of big heterogeneous market, a lot of comp competition. A another scenario is where they just remain hugely dominant in GPUs and and just suck up a lot of the value of of semiconductors. They remain the dominant sort of GPU dominant data center silicon provider. They don't have a lot of competition. They're sort of everyone's preferred vendor. And not not quite a monopoly because they, again, they're going to have internal solutions to compete with, but just this huge dominant player. And they're going to make a lot of money at that. The third scenario is where they, they become the platform for the data center. And like, I'm not making that up. That's terminology Jensen used on the call where they become the platform. Again, much to your example, where iOS is the, the platform for mobile, they would, NVIDIA it has sort of, is trying to position itself as the platform for the data center. Mm. And, and in that world, there's no Android. Right? And so, and, and you look at like their, the, the software they're, laying, they're, they're layering on, they have all these different clouds. I mean, they have what is effectively a platform as a service and they have infrastructure as a service. Right, right. right? At, at that point, they become not just a threat to other semiconductor vendors, but they become the dominant vendor in compute. Like they, they rival the hyperscalers themselves. Right? That's the extreme case. Now, I, I think that's unlikely to happen because Amazon and Google and Microsoft aren't going to allow them to do that. But yes, agree. I, 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 it's easy to envision a world where we're going to have to fight that out in the marketplace. Right. Yeah. I, I tend to think your first two scenarios, it's perhaps a mix of that. I, I think, again, I think, like I said, for me, it just all comes back to how critical or how well positioned is the GPU across all these workflows. Inference is going to be there. I think, again, if if the models that we've been playing with and I think others are trying to to forecast that training stays as a set of the market and the GPU remains the dominant sort of player or best position piece of, of silicon for training, that remains a part of the market. It could be 40%, let's say, right? Or, or even if it's half. And then the rest of that dollar value goes to CPU. That's where then Grace Copper comes in, but you've also got the x86 players, you've got Ampere, you've got other custom silicon parts. And so that's less interesting if the market splits that way, but there's a lot of value creation, right, for, for, for everybody. I tend to think that's essentially where we'll land. Maybe again, maybe GPU 60, CPU 40, or GPU 40, CPU 60, but I think it's going to be somewhere in terms of, of, of that from an infrastructure standpoint. But, but it's hard because we just don't know, right? Everybody who's fighting for the CPU saying inference is going to be it and GPU training is going to be 20% of the market, like their whole theory relies on obviously the, the architectural advancements of CPUs. It also relies on these models getting better and more efficient and essentially training becoming commoditized and inference becoming the really heavy part of those workloads. And, and that could happen. And that's why I think inference is going to be a good chunk of this market. But I just keep feeling like Jensen doesn't want to give up this point that the, that the GPU is the best architecture for massively parallel tasks, which includes every workload under the sun. Like to him, I think it's every workload under the sun. And as he keeps pushing that, if that world happens, then I think 
some of these other dominoes fall into place for them to have still a majority position, not, not again, not an 80, 20, but a strong position to market well, well positioned to keep growing as this market grows over the foreseeable future, which is a three to five year timeline. Yeah, I think that make, makes sense. I think, I think actually the, the biggest force working against them at this point is their own success, right? GPUs have gotten so expensive that it's forced everybody in, in the software world to start to look for alternatives. Yeah, and I think, yeah. right, I mean, and, you know, one, one of the things about Transformers is they're, they're magical. They allow some radical increases in, in pr- uh, productivity around compute. Right. But if you start getting into the underlying math of them, they're they're very complex. They scale quadratically, right? A lot of these cases, a lot of these transformers scale at a really big number. So you, as in, as the models get bigger, the compute needs, you know, grow exponentially. And so at some point, that becomes self defeating. But at the same time, there are lots of people in the research community and in the AI community who are working very hard to find linear solutions, where let's let's find a better alternative to transformers. That does not that scales linearly, and so suddenly you don't need quite as many GPUs. Yeah, and yep. I have to think that a big part of the drive to do that is the fact that there are it's GPUs have gotten so expensive, and so I, I, I like I, like I said, I don't think Nvidia can become the dominant data center operating system player. Right, but to the extent that they can still be the the biggest semiconductor player in data center, I think that. that there, I, I don't know the answer. There's a reasonable case on either side of that, where they can become huge yeah. or they can just become important but not massive. Right. That's why I think the 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 best way to just kind of have a handle on this is, you know, ha- have the 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 bear, the bull, and the base case scenario that says, look, if things tip one of these two ways, if we get a signpost of one of these ways, it can guide our model or our thinking more toward toward that path. And and I'm using that more from a workload value of silicon competitive landscape than I am a stock standpoint, even though I used a a wall street analogy, but uh, I think that's helpful because we don't know You're just going to say, okay, well, if these things happen, then probably leads toward a, or if these things happen, it, it, it leads toward B, but, but it's just, it's interesting to me. And I'm not saying that no one's going to displace them entire, not displace them, but come, come in and compete in training, even though I think, it's still going to be, they're going to be the dominant one there. Every vendor you and I talk to, right? They always go, we, we love our ability to compete in training because everybody we talk to says they want an alternative. But then every single one of those companies is lining up outside NVIDIA's doors, banging hardly, begging for GPUs. And so you're like, right, right. it's clearly a very good technology. Like they have the, some of the best technology or people would be like, nah, I got a good alternative. They don't actually have a good alternative. Like that's right, the situation right. we're in right now. Yeah, I think that's right. They're, they're, you know, there was somebody was telling us, oh, it was it was right after they reported the last quarter. Somebody told us, oh, you know, all our customers say we they want an alternative, and I'm like, well, Nvidia has 11 billion reasons, are you know, 11 billion counter arguments to that. So yep, yep, they're, they're yeah, they're, I mean, it's we they I I think. I think it's safe to say for the near term, they're fine. They're going to have ups and downs, little fluctuations, you know, as depending on supply. But for yeah. the next year or two, they look very solid. Yes. 
beyond that, I like your question of what are the things that we can look for to know how this market is going to play out. And I think for me, the big one will be overall adoption of transformer LLM models into a broader set of use cases than just chat GPT and stable diffusion. Yeah. And we, we've talked about this before. There's some things coming. There's some things that are imagined, but like, I think we need a better sense of that. And, and then I think it'll also be interesting to see how the different hyperscalers start to respond, right? Google, Google's going in every direction at once, building heavily on their TPUs, but also buying a lot of NVIDIA, right? Facebook, Microsoft, right? Microsoft's pretty heavily in bed with NVIDIA now. What do Facebook do? What is, what, you know, what is Amazon going to end up doing? That, those, those are the big, the big ones. Right? Does, it, yes. does Amazon double down yeah. on Tranium and Inferentia, or do they just throw in throw in the hat and adopt H one hundred and DGX? Right, that'll be a, that'll be an important one. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay, so let's so let's talk about another thing that's hotly debated. Um, there's a lot of people trying to gauge like, are we in an AI bubble? Uh, and by AI bubble, I mean inflated valuations that exceed demand. Um, there's lots of different ways that, that you can view this, right? Because bu- bubbles, essentially, if we just said, yes, there's a lot of value because there's a lot of money to be had, they can be very long. Like bubbles can be a long period. Bubbles can be 20 years. Um, so I, I think when some people, they say bubble, they mean it's a short-term inflated thing versus a long-term inflated thing. So there's mischaracterization there. But there is, I do think there is a question about like, is there a little too much hype here? And and really all of that hype, if we're just looking at valuations, is going to NVIDIA because it's not really going to AMD, it's not going to Intel. And from what you and I have both seen in terms of semiconductor startups trying to raise money, there's value there, but they're not inflated, especially when they're positioned at AI. So I don't see them getting some crazy valuation. Like it's pretty pretty, pretty reasonable. So NVIDIA is like the one I get people are saying, well, they're in too inflated, so we're in a bubble. But I'm just throwing this question out. You and I have seen a couple of bubble-ish like things in our in our time <laughs> in the industry. Um, do you read it that way? Like, is there bubble-ish, short-term bubble-ish, or too much hype going into some of these things? And in this case, perhaps the gold rush that's considered AI and NVIDIA's benefit from that. Um, or is this a true just build out infrastructure cycle and we've got years of just solid growth ahead of us um, from a, from a backend standpoint, well, hardware, software, and services. Yes. It's one of those things. (laughs) Yes. Yes to all. Yes. So I, I think, again, been thinking about this a lot lately. I think AI in terms of, the sort of mainstream discourse is completely overhyped, right? Because people outside the industry, people outside semis and AI software like to talk about AI. It's all over the, you know, the, the newspapers and on the radio, like people like to talk about AI, but they are very confused about what it means because they tend to assume it's general intelligence where you're going to be talking to your computer and, Right. That's like that side of the sort of the public perception of AI is 
radically overhyped. It's it's to the point where I can't read about it in sort of normal mainstream press. Yeah. Is separate question is is Nvidia overvalued? Mm-hmm. And I I don't I mean it's expensive. It's, it's trading at a high multiple, uh, but I I wouldn't short it. Uh, in fact, I kind of hope they miss a quarter so I can buy some stock, right? It, they're, they're, you know, the the argument is, oh, they're trading at such a multiple that they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to triple revenue in three years or four years to grow into that valuation. Okay, <laughs> they, they might they might do that, right? At this clip, they can, they you know, there's a there's a credible case to be made that they can grow into this valuation, mm-hmm. and you know, not for nothing, it's it. It shouldn't be a surprise that there is a trillion dollar semiconductor semiconductor company in this world. There should be a few of them, right? We all, right? Semiconductors are kind of important, and it should be there are a few companies in the space that merit a very high valuation because they're important to all modern civilization. Right. Nvidia. There's a pretty good case that Nvidia should be that trillion dollar semiconductor company. Uh, it's hard to come up with an alternative if it's not them. Who, right? Uh, is Intel worth a trillion dollars? Right. Nobody's right. Would you would you buy Intel and short NVIDIA at this point? No, I I I I wouldn't. I mean, I don't. You know, I don't think Intel's going away, but I it's I think NVIDIA is much more important to data center, yes. and data centers are still pretty important. Yep. Right. Agreed. Is is I I think though there is a uh, a little bit of inflation going on beyond NVIDIA. There are a lot of stocks out there. I mean, we don't have to get into all of them, but there are a lot of stocks out there that have just the faint little bit of AI dust sprinkled on them. You know, like their CEO sure. once had lunch with Jensen, and so now they're an AI stock. Uh, there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of that going on too. Um, and I think one of the things that's very frustrating about this boom is that it's so narrowly concentrated on just a handful of stocks. Yes, or it's yes. really one. The benefits aren't super wide. I mean, people are trying to make a case for uh, Supermicro and QCT and Quanta, sort of all these ancillary plays that are going to have really good cycles because they have reference designs with NVIDIA, DGX, and other NVIDIA products. But it doesn't really change their fundamental economics the way that the things that NVIDIA is working on changes their fundamental right. economics. Right. So I, 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 you know, I do think that there's a little bit of sort of people benefiting from being close to it that probably don't deserve it. Yeah. Uh, agree. And, and, and I'll also just add to this that we're in a position where we are, and I'll go back to if we're just drawing some comparisons to Cisco, we're in a hardware infrastructure cycle that will then shift once that's mature and fleshed itself out to a software cycle where value will now and this might happen sooner than later because you're seeing some value associated with some of the things that you might see Google do in AI or Microsoft. Obviously, you've got you know the sales forces of the world, lots of enterprise companies. But regardless, we're going to see a software cycle where people are building upon the hardware cycle, and there'll be a lot of dollars that go there. And so that we know that's coming next. That could be even bigger. I mean, I've seen you've probably seen you've got you know as much as I dislike McKinsey, you've got. So, you know, some of them out there saying it's a $3 trillion market, right, as a whole. So, but they're making the point about all of the value creation that can be created on top of this kind of infrastructure. Once AI is essentially 
a fundamental feature or a function of kind of every experience we might have with computers, devices, robots, cars, you know, you name it. So I get that, but I think it's just knowing where we're at in the cycle. It's a hardware cycle. There'll be a software cycle. And those two things always kind of follow in, in similar patterns. Um, and people get associated with value, but right now, exactly like you said, it's just a couple of people getting this kind of real value from the AI side, but, but, but more will come, especially as software. And we figure out what a platform might be or look like, it's, you know, sort of, et, et, et cetera. But I think that's the next kind of phase for this, but we're in a big hardware cycle for a while. I mean, it's going to be multiple years of, of build out here that I yep. think is interesting. Yep. I agree. I agree. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's cap it at that. Uh, this, uh, I think there's more, more to be said, but I think we kind of hit on a few of the key, key, key things we wanted to hit regarding this. And I'm sure as people have noted in many past episodes, this will, this topic comes up, uh, pretty, pretty frequently. Uh, but it's a good one. It's, it's a rich one. So anyway, thanks uh, everybody for listening. Uh, like, subscribe, give us reviews, send us feedback, questions, topics, all the things that we appreciate from listeners. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends. Bye.